Hello, hello. Welcome back to Leading a Woman in Tech. I hope things are going well around here. Today, we have a fantastic conversation for you. I am talking to Amy Sal on today's interview. I actually recorded this a few days ago, and I've just been thinking about our interview ever since. Amy is one of these people who has done so many different things in her life. As she'll describe to you, she started off in counting, and now she runs her own company where she helps people with talent challenges. But what we're actually talking about today is her experience from having been a senior vice president of talent enhancement for Michigan. She was part of the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. And really her remit in that was to help start startups, help entrepreneurs. And she learned so much during that time. And I know so many of you have a dream of starting a company one day. I hear this time and time again from the women I coach. They're in a role they love, but they know they want something different. I would say about 25% of the women I coach end up at some point starting their own thing. Sometimes it's consulting, sometimes it's their own startup. I think this is a dream so many of us have. So I wanted to bring Amy on to talk about the lessons she learned from her time doing that. And now also, she works a lot of small companies and startups, helping them hire people at a substantially reduced rate from what it's normal for a recruitment company and dealing with talent issues, providing HR services. So she's got a lot of experience that really helps small companies and startups get going. And that's what I wanted to pick her brain on today. But just before we dive into today's show, February is just around the corner at the date of this going live. Um, You may well be listening to this in February. We are about to start Coach Academy. This is Ignite Coach Academy. This is my coach training program. If you've ever thought about adding coaching to your suite of qualifications, this might be the program for you. We train people in coaching for two different reasons. Primarily, I think there are many reasons, but two that I see commonly. One is the leaders who want to add proper coaching to their toolkit. So many of us think we coach and yet we don't. So if you're saying I coach, but you don't actually know what coaching is, might be time to properly add that to your toolkit. The other one is we do always train people who are looking to start their own business side hustle. Maybe they want to come work for me one day as a coach as well, because we're always hiring coaches. We will definitely be having coaching spots coming up this year, by the way. We are going to need to hire coaches this year as a company. So if either of those two things speak to you, drop me an email, support at tonycollis.com. Me and my team will respond. There's a few days left to get yourself enrolled before our next kickoff in mid-February, and we would love to have you in the program. But let's get back to today's topic. If you are excited about a startup, make sure you pay attention. Let's get Amy onto the show. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Tony. So excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig into today's topic. Uh, You and I spoke about it a few days ago when we met, and I am... just beyond excited to bring this to the show because I'm just going to give a little like heads up where we're going today. We're going to be talking about startups. And 
I know so many of the women that I work with want to create a startup and are scared of what that would entail, when to get going, how to get started. So I feel like today's conversation is going to be a game changer for so many of the women that listen to the show. Because so many of us know that we have a startup or or two or three inside us. So let's let's do this. But let's start with talking a little bit about why why you do what you do today. How did you get to where you are today? Give us some of those highlights and those all important lowlights that tell us the little nuggets that drove us to where we are. Sure, sure. So um yeah, it is funny. I like I I do a lot of chatting with people that are focused on their career. And some people are very strategic. They're like, okay, I'm doing this move three moves away, and this is what I need to do to get there. Uh, for me, it has been much more accidental, I would say. Like I, I started out in public accounting, went into that because my uh, mom was and still is a bookkeeper. My dad's a banker. I was always good with numbers. Accounting is a good field to go into. Um, so I started in public accounting, but then realized it just wasn't a good fit. It was uh, my performance reviews weren't great. Um, they were good, but not great. And I, it just didn't feel like I was using all of my skills. And I mm-hmm. wasn't looking forward at a business with accounting, which is a great skill set to have. You kind of record what has happened. But, you know, other aspects of business, you look, really look forward. So I wanted something that was a little bit more impactful and realized that I I liked a lot of the aspects around people and human resources. So I realized after some good conversations and some other experiences that HR was a good fit for me. And so I went back to school. I got a master's degree in business focusing on organizational behavior and corporate strategy. And it was just such a great fit. It was easy. My grades were better. My uh, lust for what I was doing was better. So I did corporate HR for a few companies in Michigan um, and in Silicon Valley in California uh, for about 10 years. Then I got involved with talent-related economic development. And this was pivotal. Like I never even knew this field existed, but there were organizations that wanted to help startups and bring more jobs to a region. And so I had the great fortune to get involved with that. And so I helped uh, kind of be like the HR manager for um, an area in Michigan, as well as the state of Michigan, to develop programs to attract, retain, and develop talent there. And that's been just great. And then I launched my own company about nine years ago uh, with a focus on helping startups find affordable talent because there was a business need. So I've also, after mm-hmm. doing a lot to help entrepreneurs, I, I became one myself. And so those are, I guess, some of the highlights. But I think some of the lowlights were just being, I've had been in jobs that weren't good fits, either the type of work or the fit that I had with my boss at the time or the you know business situation um, wasn't there. So I've been laid off. I've been forced out. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had lots of low lights as well, but it all helps you figure out, you know, um, where it kind of, I think all of these examples help get you to where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm, so many of us have low lights. I think when we look at other people, we only see the highlights. And so I, I loved your honesty there about your early workers in accounting and the performance reviews weren't bad, but they weren't great. And I think sometimes we are, we have things in our past where we're ashamed of them in that, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably ambitious. <laughs> There's something about you that means you're listening about leadership stuff outside of your day job. There's something about you. There's something you, you need to do. 
And it can feel therefore, oh gosh, like I'm not doing the best. Or maybe right now you are having performance reviews, which aren't great. And I, I love your story here, Amy, in that some of us can learn from that. I think if you're ambitious and you're not getting the performance reviews, you know you're capable of if you were in the right role, it might be time to look at the company or the role or your boss. You know, I'm working with people right now who I know the issue is their boss. They have a bad boss. And, and it, it, it sometimes that's our wake up call. Um, so thank you for sharing that in particular. My pleasure. In fact, I'll, I'll throw one more little anecdote. So my first boss in public accounting that I had, and I was brand new out of school, and he said, look, our job is to help shape you. It's like you're a piece of metal and you can either be shaped into the hood ornament of a Rolls Royce or a toilet screw. And I still remember that very visual image. Of, <laughs> That's quite different. Like, oh, yeah. okay. I don't. I don't want to be that toilet screw. Um, but it was. But it was true. But it was also good to find an organization that viewed their responsibility mm. in helping to form people, especially people right out of college. So I do think, yeah. yeah, finding a boss that wants to develop you, even if it's a little rough. I mean, getting feedback is a gift. But also, if it, I've had situations where my boss and I just, you know, once you don't respect your boss, you're right, moving on and mm. and finding a, a different place is, is key. Yeah. Actually, I really, as much as it's kind of weird, I, I love what you, that boss said to you, the toilet screw or the, the Rolls Royce thing. Because, you know, to some extent, the toilet screw is the most important one there. Of all the things. But frankly, the Rolls Royce is not that important. It's nice. It's pretty. It's shiny. Yay. But without toilets in the world, we would not live in a good place. Right? And, yeah, and I, so I kind of like that. One's very functional. One's very ornamental, but pretty. And everybody was attracted to it. But it isn't actually as important as the functional ones. Like, I lo- your, your boss was under something there. Okay. Let's get back on track, though, and talk startups. Because otherwise we'll end up talking about something we probably regret. <laughs> but if a listener is dreaming of their first startup, and I know many of them are, with all your experience of working with these startups, working with these new companies, helping people found, what is the couple of high-level things they all need to be hearing? What do you wish everybody knew when they're considering their first startup? Yeah, I guess one thing is it's hard. And you know, I, I don't want to discourage people, but I think it's it's good to understand that, you know, what you're getting into. And so doing research about it is important. I think there's also different you know, kind of personality traits that mm. that you should have or you want to develop. And those might include, you know, being creative, uh, like creative problem solving is going to be key because there's so many pivots that happen with startups. And a lot of the small companies, startups that I've seen, they pivot significantly and they're able to make a shift in terms of a product or in terms of a market or in terms of a team player, team member that they need. So being flexible, I think is key. Um, And then you need some tolerance for risk. Again, you probably want, you know, you don't want to bet the farm on everything, Uh, but you also need to understand that there's going to be some ambiguity and there isn't a a, it's an uncharted path you're taking. Every startup, mm-hmm. is, that journey is different. And so being comfortable with some level of ambiguity is important. And then decision-making as well, because there's so many points in time where you need to make a decision. And making a decision, even if you might change it later, 
um, I think is, is better than not making one at all and then mm. stalling and then not giving your team good direction. Um, so, so those are some of the traits that I that I would think of where for people, some of your listeners thinking, okay, you know, do I have it? What should I be thinking about? What should I be enhancing in terms of my skills? Um, and experiences. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think all of those hit the market in my mind as well. And interestingly, with, with what I do, I work a lot with senior leadership. I work a lot with senior leadership in big companies and small companies. And a lot of the women I speak to, a lot irrespective of the company, actually, which might surprise listeners, everything you've just said applies with the possible exception of how fast things pivot in a big company is, is different. But a lot of them will say, you know, I don't, and it, they're, they're complaining about ambiguity. They won't use the word ambiguity, but it's a lack of definitiveness coming down from on top and learning how to deal with that. It's making decisions in the face of ambiguity. I would say to people, you've got to make a decision, right? Get off the fence because that is going to get you data. You can then backtrack and remake the decision. But while you're on the fence, you're not getting any data. You're not going to make any better decision in two weeks time just because you sat here for two weeks. You're just stalling. And actually, that applies to a Fortune 50 company as much as it applies to a new startup. It's just, I think, a lot of people who are thinking about startups have not been that senior leader who's had to deal with it in corporate. And so it's it we're suddenly faced with it in this small startup world, but actually applies the whole way through. Would you agree with that? Do you like do you see that going on as well? Yeah, completely, completely. Uh, yeah, then the decision making is so important, and making just moving forward and trying something mm-hmm. out, and that's where the fat, the startup approach, um, getting your minimally viable product out the door, and just trying something, as opposed to writing a business plan for a year. You know, just start yeah. get something out there, start talking to customers, get a beta customer, try to start solving that problem, and then and then moving forward. And, you know, because that yeah. data, like you mentioned, is is so important. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, let's talk about specific actual tips then for starting a startup. What tips would you have to somebody? Obviously, we've talked personality now, that ambiguity, pivoting. What do people need to do when they start a startup? Like, what do you wish everybody did that they aren't doing? Yeah, so um, I think the first one would be um, on the finance side, and just you know, kind of either setting aside money. Or being able, figuring out that you have a model that is conducive to bootstrapping. But I think that's a major reality of startups is that they take money. And especially if you're somebody that's going to be giving up a job <laughs> that pays mm-hmm. a lot of money, um, then you're in a position to be able to kind of set some money aside. So the, the finances, that initial capital are so important. Um, another key consideration is that customer discovery that product market fit area. So if you have an idea, start talking to people about it, uh, potential customers, but doing it in a way, uh, I saw a great little YouTube clip, like the mom test. I don't know if you've heard of it or anything, but it's a great way to talk about, it's like a, like a five minute little cartoon video that talks about like the right way and wrong way to do a customer discovery interview with your mom. And they're like, if your mom can give you useful customer information, anybody can. So but really understanding, again, where is that market need? You know, what so- problem are you solving and who's going to pay you to solve it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it is really important. And then within that, diving into, you know, specific markets and go-to-market strategy. I think another 
area is around building that team, whether you have a co-founder, whether you have a group of advisors that can give you advice, but um, getting people that can be honest with you and give you real feedback and not just let you, you know, make decisions that might not be the good, you know, you're, you know, you're so in love with your idea that you don't see some major market value, yes. you know, getting yeah, good people that can really be honest with you is key. And, and the people that come from different perspectives. Another tip I would say is being creative with talent management, because as when you're launching a company, unless you're in really, really independently wealthy, you know, you're not going to have all the money you want to be able to pay people and get all the right people on the team. But you can find, you know, there are people out there willing to do a little bit for free. There's advisors, there's student groups, there's consultants. So you don't need, there's fractional resources. So there's a lot of people out there that can do little things. There's also different programs that different organizations have that are economic development related, like the programs I was involved with in uh, the Michigan, in the United States area. They, uh, there were free resources for entrepreneurs. So take advantage Mm. of those aspects. And then I guess the last tip that I would want to mention is it's really kind of back to the investment and finance side, but really have um, some financial skills if you or find some financial skills that can help you do planning for your runway. Uh, what is realistic in terms of cash flow and um, finances? Do you need to get funding? And if so, how? So you know, getting that money, bootstrapping, financial planning, putting together a realistic financial plan so you can, you know, if you need to raise money, get it, or bootstrapping those decisions. So there's a lot of um, those skills that I think, again, if you don't have them, find someone that does so that you're going to give yourself the best chance of success. I think I think that's the key thing here is that founding team, right? I, I remember when I started my business, not a startup in the traditional sense, but a business I started by myself and I did just quit my job, <laughs> quit my job on a Friday, hired my accountant and my business coach on the Monday. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm doing this. I got three months. That's what I told myself. I got three months to make money. My husband has told me since that he had in his mind it was six months. <laughs> I did replace my salary in three months, but it was scary. But I, you know, I didn't, I didn't plan this. And it wasn't a traditional sort of what I would do if I did it again was plan this better. Um, and I think part of that is have those team members. So I didn't build a team from day one because that's not my business model. But I've now worked with so many women who are starting startups and I, you know, sometimes they come and work with me when they're still, they're doing it as a side hustle and they're wanting that advice. And and I am the alternative to having that partner in the business who challenges them on their baby, right? You need somebody who can point out the things that you are just too in love with what you're doing to notice. Uh, for me, that was my business coach. For some of my clients, it's me as their coach, their startup and leadership coach. For others, it is their founding partner or, it, you know, sometimes you need multiple people around you. I mean, I have I have three coaches right now for a really good reason. They, they offer different advice. I have a network of peers who offer me different advice. I take some and I leave some. Part of it is having the strength to do that. But I think that is so important. That's why I'm going on and on about it. I That to me is the difference between success and failure is who you surround yourself with more than anything. Would you, is, is that, some a commonality you've seen with all these companies you've worked with over the years? It's it's a commonality for me, for sure. Like I have one of my walking buddies. I mean, she's mm -hmm. had a successful exit of her company uh, that was a tech company, and she uh, now has launched her second company. And so 
there's a few of us that have all gravitated to each other, all women that have had companies. She was in a, a women's president organization, and those organizations are great for giving you that peer because when, as they say, it's lonely at the top and you can't mm-hmm. talk about certain things with not that people just aren't going to understand it if they haven't had the stress of making payroll or finding customers or having to wear 10 different hats on every single day. So I completely agree with that point. I actually, in that, in that sense, you mentioned making payroll. I think that causes a lot of us a lot of stress. I was, you know, my team gets paid before I do. The bills get paid before I do. <laughs> and one of the things my accountant is always pushing me to consider is the profit first model, where I'm always looking at the profit first, right? Whereas I look at my expenses first. In reality, right now, today, when changed today's cash flow, but the whole idea of looking at profit first allows you to think more closely about your business model and aim to get to profit quickly. And even if you raise investment, I think that makes you more appealing to investors because at the end of the day, your investors want their money back yesterday, right? The, the moment they hand a penny over, they want it back. They just want money plus something, right? And I think that is something we don't, we don't have in our minds it's all just cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, rather than at the end of the day, we need to make money. Even if you're doing this for the greater good, like there's, there's something you're doing. Like my business is here to change the world, happens to pay my bills and happens to pay my team, which is amazing. And I, I appreciate that. But I'm here to change the world first and foremost. I just need to get paid. But <laughs> while I don't think about being paid, it's a source of stress that stops me doing my job well. And I mean, do you see this crippling companies when? They don't think about how they're going to make their profit, how they're going to pay their bills. And instead, they just focus on, have I got enough? Yeah, good question. I mean, I I know this resonates probably more for me than trying to get into the psyche of some of my clients. But I, yeah, I I completely agree on that point where you need to have, like, I I love my mission too. I'm trying to provide services to companies and startups and nonprofits that wouldn't otherwise have them. And Mm -hmm. I, I try to do it in a very affordable manner but I need to pay people. Right. And, and not making, you know, payroll, uh, is, is scary. And when, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. fortunate enough to have a financial background. So I, I do forecasting, I can identify profit as well as cash. And, but it's, it's scary, you know, Mm -hmm. and and trying to, but I, I totally agree. Like making sure you have that, understand what profit looks like. It's great to have a mission, but if you can't survive and help, implement that mission, then it doesn't, you know, yeah. it's, what's, what's the point of even having it? And this is an area where I think a lot of entrepreneurs, again, don't have, they run out of cash or they make assumptions that are way off and aren't maybe as conservative as they should be, or aren't as aggressive about talking about that profit to inspire potential investors as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I wish with Benefit Hindsight, I'd be more aggressive with my profit focus from day one. I think I'd have gone further faster, ironically, if I'd, I mean, I've always invested a lot in my business. My husband and I decided, because he is co-owner of my business, and we decided day one that like this, he calls it his retirement plan. (laughs) I'm like, honey, you're optimistic. Um, (laughs) And his, you know, we've invested a lot in the business, but actually it needs to pay back at some point, right? And it's, it's having that lens, like when is that return going to come? Because that's good for you. It's good for your investors. It's good for everybody. So, so important. Actually, I'm just going to take us down tangent here. 
because this is me this you know this one resonated with me partly because my biggest wobble is money almost irrespective of what is going on in my life right like you know if you've listened to the podcast for a while you'll have known that um my dad has, was very sick and, and he sadly passed away in the fall and you know, the the most bizarre thing that happened is I started worrying about money because whenever I get stressed, money is my wobble. I'm like, how am I going to pay the bills? And I, I find that fascinating as a coach to do that. And I think all of us have a button that is our wobble. One of my clients is always her relationships. That's that's her thing. Many of us, it's money. One of my clients is her relationships with her family. That is the wobble that comes up time and time again. And I'm like, do you see what's going on here? When I speak to her, I'm like, this is coming up because this is going on in another aspect of your life. What, I mean, do you have, you don't have to share it with us, Amy, but do you have an identifiable wobble as a business owner? And did you see that happening with some startups as well? Well, probably, I mean, financial, right? I mean, that is the thing that I worry about the most and try to plan Mm. for. And so that would, yeah, I, I think, that would be, that would probably be it. And I like the term wobble. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is like this, so, it, because yeah. it, it's all, it's like the jelly on the plate that happens even when it's fine. <laughs> right. And, and, and this is the thing about it. And I think the reason I want to bring this up is if somebody's thinking about doing a startup, figure out what gets under your skin. So you're prepared for it. I mean, my, my business coach here, I've worked with since day one of my business. I adore her. She she's convinced at some point I'll let go of this wobble and I'm like, it's still here. I just I recognize it now. I'm like, oh, that's my wobble brain happening. That's the jelly coming to distract me. Because actually that's not what I need to fix. I need to fix this thing over here. But I I really always urge people to figure out what gets under their skin and keeps them awake at night. Yeah, because you can't, as a business owner, you have so many areas, balls you have mm. to keep your eye on, right? And if one of them is taking up more importance than it should be, that's bad. I mean, you know, it needs a little bit, you know, all these things need a little bit of attention. But if you're so focused on money that you're not focused, like for me, if I'm so focused on, you know, pinching pennies or trying to stretch something out or making a decision that's beneficial short term, but long term, it affects customer satisfaction mm. or I'm not hiring the right team members, then that's going to be much more problematic. And so, yeah, it's really good to think about. Yeah. Well, okay. On the topic of money then, one of the other questions I I really wanted to ask you was something I see so many of the women I work with struggle with, which is they're excited about an idea or maybe they've always wanted to be a founder, but they spent the last five years just sitting on this idea because they're terrified of giving up their paycheck. I'd almost say they have the opposite problem from what mo- you and I often see in founders, which is they've they've gone headlong into something without planning um, financially. A lot of the women I work with, I, and I see this with retired women who never did it because they were so scared of letting go of the paycheck. What do they need here? What can they do about that fear of giving up the paycheck? Yeah, I think they should de-risk it as much as possible. Because I think a lot of people, if you if you're scared of something and you know more about it, then it'll make you less scared. And so kind of back to what I mentioned earlier a little bit, you know, save up that money. If you are worried about, you know, if you've got a big nest egg, if you've got three months or six months of salary saved up, that's one aspect. Another aspect is talking to customers and proving out your business idea so that you could replace it 
in three months or six months, or you know that, hey, I've invented something. I talked to a few customer, or I've invented, you know, either a technology or a concept. And when I talk to a potential customer, they're like jumping over the desk. When can I have it? Can I have that tomorrow? And then you're like, okay, I've, I've got something here. You know, mm-hmm. getting that team of advisors who can reinforce what you need and and bring more ideas into the table, so it'll be more successful. Being creative about using talent and tapping into different programs, getting a financial, you know, paying somebody some money if you don't have the financial skills to put together, you know, a, a five year pro forma, and who can really understand some of those things. So, you know, if you can feel comfortable about that you have something, you have got the product, you've got the market, you've got the team, you've got the finances, then, you know, you should feel more comfortable jumping in. Um, And if you're, Mm -hmm. again, if you're working, this is the ideal time to, you know, on the weekends or at night, do that research, start that, that concept building, save up that money so that you can take the jump. But, um, but it's very exciting and, you know, it's well worth it, but you, it's also risky. So again, try to do what you can to de-risk and, and then jump. <laughs> yeah, it is. Do risk as much as you can, but don't don't fail to jump. I always say to people, at some point, you've got to do something uncomfortable. What's the worst thing that can happen? You go, I was, you know, I said to my husband, I give myself three months and I'll go back to work because a three to six month break, I could easily have stepped back into a job. And now I view myself as unemployable. I could never work for someone else. <laughs> if this business for some reason failed, I'd start something else. Like I am completely never going to work for someone else ever again. I just love, I love it. Yeah, totally with you there. I had the best boss. I've had the worst of bosses. And then I ended Mm -hmm. on a really high note with an amazing boss and followed him from one place to another. And I told him like, okay, after, after Mike, I'm never working for anybody again. (laughs) So Mm. I'm, yeah, Yeah. I'm all in on, on being my, being my own boss. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Let's wrap up this conversation with talking about something we'd be very remiss to fail to talk about, which is funding. Um, For many women in tech, they assume that startup funding is the only way to build a startup. And I want to dig into that, especially as I've had previous guests on the show who've pointed out that the startup funding landscape is very biased against women right now. Um, I even have one lady on the show who, who told me a story where she was struggling to get funding, struggling to get funding, struggling to get funding. Her and her business partner, both female. They took along a male friend who just sat in the back and they got funding. And it's just like, okay, it was that chance or she now takes a man along to pitches. And I that breaks my heart. So if you've been listening to this show for a while, you may, you may well be thinking, oh my God, this is great and everything, but I will never get funding. Amy, what would you, what, what would you say about that? Like, what do we need to be thinking of as women in tech? Yeah, I, w- I would say the same thing that men have to think about as well, right? It's the it's the horse, the race, and the jockey. I don't know if you've used heard mm-hmm. that analogy before, or I'm not for in startups. But... T- tell us more. Sure. When when investors are looking at the uh, an investment, they're looking at three things. Uh, one is that that product or the horse. Like, mm-hmm. is your horse faster, better, cheaper than the alternatives? Um, the second thing is the race. Are you in a big, is the purse, is the re- award for that race really significant? You know, like, are you curing cancer? Um, are you, you know, increasing, uh, doing something that's going to decrease greenhouse gases in the world? Are you, you know, or are you creating something that, you know, nobody really cares about? You know, what is that reward by solving this problem? Um, and the third thing is the jockey. 
who is that management team? And I've heard mm-hmm. so many investors say over and over again, they'll invest with, in an A team with a B product versus the other way around. And so if you are an experienced entrepreneur, great. You're going to have a lot of street cred. If you don't, then that's where that team, that advisory board, that co-founder can make a difference. So on the you know male, female side, um, I mean, that network is key. And if there are men that have networks and connections and past histories, that that is key. Um, you know, bias is a real thing. Uh, I think there is a lot more attention now towards even funds that are very focused on women and people of color. Mm-hmm. So I think the time has never been better to lean into everybody's awareness of the issue. Uh, but, you know, you definitely know, though, need to, again, keep in mind, it's a good product, having that customer discovery, having customers lined up waiting to take your product or being very clear on what that value proposition is, um, is going to be important no matter no matter what. Yeah, 100%. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of different topics here. So I think we should move on to the quick fire round. I could talk about this all day long. I think this is a fascinating world. And I know my audience is, is interested in startups. So we have to call time, but let's get on to some of my favorite questions I ask every guest. First question, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Yeah, this was hard, the hardest of for me, but it came down to um, a job that I had with a horrible boss. And we were working on a project with a bunch of stakeholders that were very knowledgeable. And he said, well, you should just tell them what to do as opposed to getting their feedback. And I was, and I absolutely, I wouldn't do it because I knew that that wasn't the right thing to do. And I think that was one of the many straws that finally broke the camel's back in terms of that job. But you know, just not being collaborative, not being inclusive was mm. was not not cool in my book. Yeah, you've got to understand your audience and a stakeholder by definition. It's understanding that they're stakeholders rather than your minions, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, this is from my dad and I love it. It was about when you have a problem and you don't tell anybody it's your problem. But if you tell somebody else, now it's our problem. So that just kind of comes like when it comes to problems and conflict, just trying to get ahead of it and involving more people, involving your boss. Like when something's a problem and you can't solve it, telling your boss and engaging your boss or other stakeholders to help you solve it, I think was one of the the best pieces of advice I've gotten. Yeah, I love that. I love that actually, because sometimes we hold so much close and it doesn't need to be. I also held problems close, which actually weren't big problems. As soon as I told my boss, my boss was like, that is not a problem. I don't know why you're losing sleep over that. I'm like, oh, okay. And it's sometimes you need that external perspective. So I love that. All right, good, good piece of advice from your dad. What is the last book you read and would you recommend it? I would. It was called The Defining Decade. Mm, I've heard and of that. it's about... Yeah, it's about people in their 20s. So, and, it, and it's vi- advice to people in their 20s. And it, ta- it covers careers, romance, romantic, romantic relationships, family planning, financial planning, lots of really, it was recommended to me by a student. Um, I have a bunch of children in my 20s that are in their 20s. So it was great. We almost kind of made a book club out of it. So that would be a, my book that I would recommend. Awesome. I will make sure there is a link to that in the show notes if you are interested. Actually, I think at any age as well, I might go and read that. I definitely don't fit past that maybe at this point. Mm. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little bit. 
<laughs> I, I actually, I've heard several people mention that to me recently. So I have to go and check that out. Mindset. Every episode, I love to give a mindset tip. What would be your favorite mindset tip for women in tech leadership, maybe women in startups? What's the mindset tip you wish you'd pass on? Yeah, I, I was, I had a few different thoughts on this one. And I guess the kind of like, you know, part of it is more of like building your network, which I'm not really sure if that fits into mindset, but I think a lot of it is around planning and visioning. So I'm a, I'm a big planner. I just think that, you know, if you've got an issue that you're struggling with or stress for me, plan, like write it down, journal it, plan it, see what you want to do, write it out and then attack it. So, you know, I had a lot of thoughts around to get networking, planning and visioning. And so I'm throwing a lot in there. Mm. So. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I actually think one of the key nuggets I would take from that is writing it down. The big stress is write them down. I think a lot of the time when they're up in our heads, they're amorphous and they swell and get bigger. We write it down and it's like, ah, actually it's big, but it's not huge. I can tackle that. It somehow becomes more manageable. I think when we write stuff down, even if nothing else, like it just so good. This has been an amazing conversation. So how can people connect with you, find out more about what you do? And I'm in particular, I wanted to just get you to mention the work you do with helping small companies and startups hire talent. How can people find out about that? Oh, love to help them. Um, so my website is amycelltalent.com and my email is amy, A-M-Y, at amy, A-M-Y, cell, C-E-L-L, talent, T-A-L-E-N-T, dot com. I'm also love LinkedIn, emails, anything. I'd love to love to connect with anybody that wants to chat talent. Yeah. And we will make sure the links are in the show notes. So whether or not you're thinking about this for your future startup, maybe you're in a company. And I think one of the things that Amy specializes in is helping hire talent when it, a lot of talent acquisition costs a lot of money and you specialize in making it more affordable for particularly startups, but small companies as well, companies like mine. Um, so if you're listening and, and you know that's one of the things you're struggling with, then reach out to Amy. She's kick-ass. We hope you're already <laughs> hearing that today. Amy, any final thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with today? Just to make it a great 2024. It's that time of year to really think about what you want, set that vision, and then go for it. Yes. Thank you. I mean, 2024, here we come, right? Let's make this the best <laughs> year yet. Thank you once again for being on the show. I, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your wisdom, all those years of experience working with startups and just hopefully inspiring these women a little bit. Until next time, listeners, remember, stay in your tech leadership game as always, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.